today, but also through the weekend, I have lots of different emotions that have been flowing. I've sort of just been ranging through the emotions. And the reason why is because this, this time, and specifically maybe this weekend, uh, carries a lot of significance for, it, for me uh, and my family, because it was about six years ago this time that my brother, Matt, went to Impact and it had a tremendous impact on his life. And, you know, he kind of re-engaged with the Lord after just sort of, you know, being disconnected for a long time. And so, you know, that particular week will always hold a special place in my heart, okay? Uh, and so it was just, just a really, really cool time to watch that. And then on July 1st of 2012, which happened to be a Sunday, I preached a message about new life. And I was talking about new life within our church and the Spirit giving us new life. And it was later that evening, 7.13 in the evening to be precise, that Miles Bennett put in his appearance. And he was early, which surprised nobody once you get to know him. That makes sense, you know. He doesn't, he's not going to do anything on anybody else's schedule. He's going to do it his way. And so, you know, all of those things are, are kind of working on me and have been working through me uh, throughout this weekend. So I've kind of just been ranging through the emotions. And now for another reason. It was also during that time period, the late June, early July, that I prepared a message that I would deliver 12 times over a period of six days at impact. Uh, my job during those days that I was there was to build the tension. That was my job. In coordination with all of the other speakers, my job was to build and add tension and, and pressure that would eventually be relieved by the, the end of the week. And impact, just like we do at Cornerstone, they have a theme that they follow throughout the week, and everything is driving toward that. And the theme for that week was, uh, was based off a movie called Stranger Than Fiction. And the text that I used for that particular week, during this particular time six years ago, just so happens to be the exact text that we're looking at this morning. Without me manipulating anything, it's the same text that we looked at that I, that I preached all those years ago. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to present that message to you today. Now then, it's only going to be a brief part of 16. And there is a lot of really, really good stuff in 16. So next week I'm going to come back and I'm just going to kind of wrap this story in all of the other details that are too good to overlook. But today, I primarily want to focus on verses 16 through, 16 through 24. So, as I was up there, and I'm going through that message, there was a question that we asked, and I think it is a, a really great question, and it's simply this, does your life match the book? Okay, now then, I know all of you have read books before, and you've read those books, and you've seen the movie version of those books on TV, right? And if you've done that, you know how disappointing it can be, right? Because the movies always leave out stuff in the book, right? And you're like, man, this doesn't match up at all. Well, 
what I love about this question is it asks us, does our life match the book? For six months, we've been looking at the early church. We've been looking at what it means to become a Christian in, in a world that did not have Christianity. We've been watching them as they learned to figure out this Jesus thing and this Jesus movement and what this new group of people means. And so how this question applies to us is, does the way that I am living, the way that I behave, the way I talk, the way I act, the way I conduct myself in business, the way I conduct myself in my personal affairs, does the way I'm living my life, does it match what I'm reading in here? Does that make sense? So that's really a great question that all of us, that all of us have to ask ourselves. And so I, I like that question. I'm going to come back to it as we, as we move through this. Well, we all love a good story, don't we? And not only do we love a good story, we love a good hero story. There's just something about that, you know, some injustice has, has happened and somebody comes in and they sort of save the day or they, they put an end to the, to the villain's kind of just kind of evil schemes. And what I have found out too is that whether we admit it or not, everybody secretly wants to be the hero, right? Any, any, everybody want to secretly be the hero? Can we, can we admit that about ourselves this morning? Yeah. So as a kid, you know, I loved heroes and I loved superheroes and I've talked about some of that to you and of course, my boys really love superheroes. Marvel, Marvel has made billions off my family alone and the superhero costumes that we have. Here's just a few of them right here. Here's Jackson six years ago as Captain America. Okay? And that was, the, that was his first superhero. That was the one that was, was his most favorite. Then here's his brother Miles as Batman. Uh, Jackson, this was taken last year, Jackson had a baseball game, and his brother decided that he was going to go to the baseball game dressed as Batman. Jackson was not thrilled. He was not thrilled that his brother went out in public dressed like Batman and didn't take the mask off the entire time. Well, there's Iron Man. That's from Halloween a couple of years ago. That's at the Henkel's house. And then here's one of my favorites that Bethany took of Jackson when he was a little fella. Uh, Superman. So heroes and superheroes are a big deal in our household. They always, they always have been. But of course, those are, are superheroes. But what I want us to think about this morning is not as what is a superhero, but what is, what is a hero? What comes to mind when someone uses the word hero? Well, when I was preparing this material six years ago, I went to our, our dearly beloved shepherd, George, and I just asked him, you know, veteran of the, the Korean War, and I said, George, what to you is a hero? And this is what George said. He said, I serve, but I'm not a hero. The ones who died gave up their lives for others. They are the heroes. And I think that gives us a pretty good working definition of, of what a hero is. Does that make sense? Someone who does something for other people 
even at the expense of their life. And so I, I liked what, what George had to, had to say there. And so we're, we're talking about this. What does it mean to be a hero? And of course there's examples all around. So here's one. Here's one. Here's, one of, here's a, a Hollywood version of what a hero looks like. My Lord. I thought he would come. So now, if you don't recognize that, that's from the eighth installment of the Harry Potter films. And what is happening in that scene is you have Harry Potter, who's coming down to face the world's most evil villain named Voldemort. And the only way for him to be defeated and to save his friends and his family is for him, for Harry, to die. And so when he goes down there and you hear, see another character saying, Harry, what are you doing here? He knows in his mind that he can't defeat this villain. And he said, why are you here? But Harry is there not to fight. He's there to, to give up his life in order to, to save all of, all of these, other, all these other wizards. And that's, that's Hollywood's version of a hero. And, and that's great. And I love those films. But what I'm more interested in is not the fictional version of a hero I'm more interested in what a real life hero looks like and as we come to Acts chapter 16 today it gives us a tremendous example of a hero so as we look at the text last week Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy are trying to figure out what God's move is and they'd wanted to go a couple of different places, but you'll remember they were blocked 
by the Spirit of God from, from going to where they wanted to go. And it was kind of in the middle of the night that Paul receives this vision of a Macedonian man saying, come over here, come help us. And of course, that's the call of the gospel into, into Europe. And so Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy then make their way over to Macedonia. And that's what happens in 16. And so they meet some people and they, they plant this, they, they meet this, this little group of people and they're eventually going to end up planting the church which is going to become the, the church at Philippi. And so they just start worshiping together. But then something happens that is so dramatic, so powerful, and next week we'll unpack this a little bit more. But start reading with me in verse 16. Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are servants of the Most High God. And notice what it says, She did this for many days. So what would happen is that Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy would go to what is called the Agora or, or the marketplace. And while they are there, you know, Paul is, is preaching, he's proclaiming the good news of, uh, of Jesus Christ, and then somehow or another, they catch the attention of this little girl who has a demon, who recognizes what is going on, and she begins to follow behind them, and she's screaming out what they're doing, sort of kind of in a, I imagine it being in a kind of a mocking and, and jeering way, and we'll, we'll talk more about that later. But this goes on for, for several, several days. Finally, Paul gets enough of it. 18 says, Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. And we think, praise God, that's a great news, right? But watch what happens. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, these, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews. And they are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Okay? Now, I'm pretty sure that the people who own this slave girl could care less that one, they're Jews, and two, they're bringing about these practices that are illegal. Okay, I'm pretty sure they could care less about that. What they are more concerned with is their income is gone. They're not concerned about this girl. They're concerned about their well-being. And so they grab, they grab Paul and Silas. They bring them to the magistrates. Now then, watch what happens. Look at this right here. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. I don't know what happened to Luke and Timothy. I don't know if they shrunk back in the crowd or what, but they grab Paul and Silas. They bring them before the city, uh, the city officials, ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they did not escape. 
Now, then you read through that, and it's just like, okay, great. That's, that was tough. I hate that that happened. But we have to understand what it really was that they endured for the sake of the gospel. Okay? And to really understand what makes Paul do the things he does. You know, the, and, and, and to, to, to get some glimpse of what he was devoted to. We have to take time and unpack this a little bit. And as we read through some of the things that I'm fixing to, to share with you, you'll see why, why Paul is one of my heroes. Now then, it says that they were beaten with wooden rods. Here's what those rods look like. They're called fasces. Okay? And the people who would mete out this punishment were known as the lictors. And the wooden rods are basically just what you see there. They're wooden rods and they're sort of wrapped with a, a leather strap, okay? And what they'd do is they'd unwrap the, the rods, and they'd get a few of them, and they'd wrap it around there good and tight on one end, and they'd wrap it around their wrist so it wouldn't come loose, and they would just begin caning the person. Now then, you'll also notice that right there, that arrow, that's a blade. That's an axe blade that is in the middle of this, okay? And what these fasces represented is that the Roman government, the Roman authority had both corporal and capital authority. They had the ability to punish people, even putting them to death. Okay, And so this is what Paul and Silas are going to endure. And it's horrible, is it not? I mean, they are severely beaten. And we think, how could something like this happen? And we think, well, you know, we live you know, in modern times. Those things don't happen, but not so fast. Who's ever been to Washington, D.C. in here? Who's ever seen the Lincoln Memorial? Have you ever paid attention to the Lincoln Memorial? It is massive if you've never seen it. It's 19 feet high. And when you go and you look up close, you realize that right there, the arms of the chair, you see the fasces. Saying that we, the American government, we have the authority for both corporal and capital punishment. This is what... Paul and Silas are going to endure. They're going to endure this beating with wooden rods. A man by the name of Tim Woodruff, who for a long time ministered in Nashville, uh, he wrote a book about this incident. It's called A Distant Presence. And as he went through and he began to research what happened, he put it to the page, and this is what he says. He says, a beating with rods was intended not to cut, but to brutalize. The rods were brought down swiftly against the back, breaking blood vessels deep in the muscle. As the blows rained down, the muscles pulverized and fell away from the ribs and spine. The bleeding was profuse, but contained within the muscle until by the end of the beating, the skin split and broke. It poured in clotted streams from the victim and spattered his tormentors. That right there is why Paul is one of my heroes. And as bad as that sounds, he didn't just endure that one time. Listen to, listen to 2 Corinthians 
Paul's writing about his life, and he says, five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Three different times in Paul's life, he endured that right there. For the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Sometimes we, we turn and run at the slightest name calling. The slightest bit of pressure. Paul three different times endured this for the sake of the gospel. Now, what I want to suggest to you this morning, though, is that a hero does not always face a physical life or death situation. Okay? What I'm going to suggest is that it doesn't mean you have to give up your life or, or someone loses their life in order to become a hero. And that leads me to talk about my next hero, which is Jesus. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now there's other places in Scripture where Jesus says something like this. He says, take up your cross and follow me. But do you see what Luke does right here? He adds one word that moves this idea of cross-bearing out of martyrdom into self-sacrifice. Now then, it doesn't mean that, that martyrdom is off the table, but what Luke is saying is if we are going to follow Jesus, we must take up our cross every single day and follow Him. That's a self-sacrificial life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus bids us to come follow Him, He bids us to come and die. And of course, that could mean to die in a physical sense. But I think more than that, it means that we are to die to ourselves. that we are to, to, to look at our life and examine the places where we are selfish, examine the ways where we put ourselves ahead of others and then put those things to death so that we may serve others. This is what Jesus is calling to. So we ask ourselves, what is a, a hero? A hero is someone who takes up their cross daily and sacrifices for others. Does that make sense? Yes or no? That's what a hero is. Now, it might be a physical death, but it might not be. To be a hero to someone 
means that you sacrifice for them. Now think about this. Paul sacrificed flesh, blood, and his life so that we could know about Jesus. Jesus sacrificed flesh, blood, and life so that we could have salvation. Jesus now invites us to become heroes with Him. Right? Didn't we say we all want to be the hero? How do we do that? It's not in acts of glory. It's in acts of service. It's in acts of, of, of sacrifice. It's in acts of, of putting others ahead of our own needs, just as Jesus did. In one of the most powerful writings that Paul ever put on paper, in the book of Philippians, he talks about Jesus who is our ultimate example, who became a suffering servant, who laid down his life for all, who became the hero for us all. And now, as Luke says, take up your cross daily and follow him, he invites us into that same kind of life. Because that's what daily means. Because if you die, well, you can't do it daily, right? So it must mean something else. It must mean that it's an act of self-sacrifice. An act of, of putting others first. This is what Jesus invites us into. Now, Ken mentioned... He mentioned our church a little while ago. And something that has been in my, I've uh, been kind of rattling around in my head over the last few days, um, especially through things that we have done over the last few weeks, is that we are a small church, are we not? Yes, amen. We are a small church. We are not a weak church. You hear that? Small does not equal weak. Sometimes you need small things to go into tight places to do big things, right? Honestly, would I love for this church to be big? Yes, I would. I'm not against that, but I'm not going to let that be an excuse for us not doing big things. And what I love about this church is you fall right in with that, and you believe that. And I've seen that in some very, very powerful ways. Because whether you realize it or not, there are heroes among you right now. Right now. Those who go outside the walls, who go and serve at Providence Plaza, those who go and love the children and the residents, at Vashti, those who help take care of the TU students when they come see us every August, you are heroes. You are serving others. And that is heroic. Wednesday night we had a, uh, had a pretty powerful night at Providence. Lots of people came out, lots of fellowship. And what I love about Providence, um, and we talked about this at lunch on Friday, what I love about that is it's, 
You know, it's easy to look and say, you know, this is us doing this. But realistically, if you've paid attention, there's a lot of reciprocity that goes on there. There's relationship there. Okay? We've got, as I like to think of it, we've got several kingdom agents that are stationed at Providence. Okay? Who'll go around and do good work. There were a lot of people that were there Wednesday night, were there not? That doesn't just happen, okay? Brenda Allen went out in the 100-degree heat and knocked on every door and gave them a flyer so people would be there. That's self-sacrificial, okay? That is heroic. We, um, we got word that somebody needed some help with uh, some furniture. Didn't have anything. There were some people here that said, yeah, we got it. And so on Friday, Ken and Norm went and brought this lady some furniture. And said she, they, she, could, she was just overwhelmed with it, couldn't stop thanking them for how they had served her. That is heroic. And then I heard a story a couple of weeks ago about our good brother, dear friend, Tellus Copeland. He doesn't know I'm going to tell this story, and he may not know it yet, even as I tell it, which may be a good thing. But a few weeks ago, Tellus was at Walmart. And of course, Tellus doesn't get around by himself, you know that, so he rides the, the, uh, the public transportation. And I think it was raining, and there was a woman there whose car was broken down. It was not working. Tellus went to her, pulled himself up out of his wheelchair to help her get her car jumped off. And he stayed with her until help arrived. Missed his ride. Stayed there to serve that woman whom he did not know. That's what an act of self-sacrificial heroism looks like. Right? Praise God. Paul writes in Philippians, he's talking about Epaphroditus who came from Philippi. He brought Paul the stuff he needed to survive. Epaphroditus almost dies on the trip. He gets well, he gets sent back. Luke, uh, Paul sends the letter of Philippians back to the Philippian church. And in that letter, Paul says, Epaphroditus almost died for this cause. You must honor people like that. That's why I'm telling you those stories this morning. Because we have, you know, it's easy when you talk about heroes. It's, it's, I mean, it's so easy to picture people that just do huge things things that we have no contact with, but when we stop and take the time to think about it and wrestle with what a hero really is, we look around and we realize we're walking amongst heroes every time we gather here. And what I really love is that all of those acts, they don't take place on Sunday morning inside this building. They take place outside of here in our community. So what is a hero? A hero is someone who takes up their cross daily 
and sacrifices for others. So let's bring it full circle back to the original question. Does your life match the book? See how good of a question that is? But that's also a really, really challenging question, is it not? Because there are times where my life does not match the book. There are times when the only cross I want to take up is my own interests and the things that I'm interested in, the things that, that, that I desire. But I have to remember things like what happened in Philippi in Acts 16. I have to remember the rods and the beatings that that Paul endured, not just once, but over and over and over again. I have to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. I have to remember His Word that said, if I am going to be His follower, then every single day, not when it's convenient... How many times do we serve out of convenience? That's damning, is it not? Not take up your cross when it's convenient. Take up your cross daily and follow after me. Jesus calls us into, invites us into that kind of life. You have an opportunity every single day to be a hero to somebody. Not for your own glory, And not for your own gain. It's not about that. But for the sake of those in need. Doing for those who cannot do for themselves. That's what it means to be a hero. Let's pray together.